Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Exodus 25. Exodus chapter 25. We are continuing our study really verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Exodus. We've taken a few weeks off. I was in South Asia uh, and then had a sermon on missions. And then last week we celebrated our graduates. And so we've taken a few weeks off. We're going to get back in it today, though, and we're going to continue over the next several weeks to kind of finish this out, right? We're more than halfway through, and uh, we're to the point now where the Lord's beginning to do something a little bit different. And so I'm going to summarize a little bit where we've been and then look ahead to where we're going to be going, right? In our study up to this point, the children of Israel, the last we saw, had received the Ten Commandments. And so we spent a lot of weeks walking through the Ten Commandments, understanding their significance, what they meant uh, to the people of Israel, obviously, how we still apply them today. And then we left off at the end of chapter 20, right as the Ten Commandments had kind of finished up. And so to kind of summarize, I'm going to do something I haven't done up to this point in our study. I'm going to summarize chapters 21 through 24, because those chapters are filled with a lot of law. And we could really get bogged down in the detail of those laws. I'm going to encourage you on your own to go read those, to think about those, to pray through those on your own. But I'm going to kind of fast forward past those into chapter 25 because it's in the beginning of chapter 25, God's going to do something different. Now, if you were to read through the last few chapters, you would notice really in chapter 24, the Lord kind of reminds the people again of his covenant. The Lord has chosen these people. He's walked with these people. He's led these people. We've seen that already. He's established a covenant with them. And here's the beautiful thing about the covenants that the Lord establishes. It does not depend on the people. It only depends on the Lord, right? And so even when they walk away, even when they forget, even when they are sinful, the Lord maintains and remembers that covenant. So he's reminding the people of Israel that in chapter 24. And then we get into chapter 25, and he's going to kind of switch gears a little bit. So let's jump right in this morning, Exodus chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution, right? He's going to take some things up from them. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution you shall receive from them, right? This is what the Lord wants to receive from the people of Israel. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twisted linen, Goat's hair, tanned ram's skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breast piece, and let them make me a sanctuary, right, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, you shall Making. Now, just a little bit of a, a fast forward, kind of a, a looking ahead. The Lord is going to build a tabernacle. 
And that's really going to dominate the last uh, many chapters of this book. He's going to spend a, time, a lot of time talking about it, explaining it, giving detail. We'll walk through that and understand it. But he's going to do it for a very specific reason. He says it there in verse 8. He wants him to make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And so here's the first thing I want you to get, right? It's important. It's really foundational to understand the, the end of this book and kind of where this is going and how the Lord is beginning to change gears a little bit. Truth number one, the Lord is going to create a place of worship for the people of Israel. Right? They, they've been wandering in the wilderness. They've come out of Egypt. The, the Lord has led them to Mount Sinai. They've received the Ten Commandments. But they're really in this place of limbo. They don't have a home in Egypt anymore. They have not yet made it to the promised land. They're wandering through. The Lord is leading them. But watch, this is important. He's preparing for them a place of worship. Now, I want you to get the big picture here, right? I like to talk about the meta-narrative. That's the big picture of Scripture. It's very easy for us to take individual verses or just little stories and kind of take them out of context. It's much better for us to understand the grand picture of, sto- of the grand story of Scripture and the big picture of what the Lord is doing. So let me just remind you of something that's real significant here. Right, all the way back in the beginning of creation, Genesis 1 and 2, the Bible says God created everything and it was good. In fact, if you were to read back through that account, what we see is that the Lord, the Bible says, would walk in the cool of the day in the garden with Adam and Eve. So, so there's this understanding that we were, we were created to be in fellowship. We were created to be in community. We were created to live in the presence of the Lord. The problem with that is Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world, and that perfect relationship between us and God was severed. It was broken, right? We were separated. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, out of the presence of the Lord. And so what the Lord is beginning to do here, right, and this is significant, the Lord is beginning to kind of re-enter the picture. Right, he's come down through the burning bush. He spoke to Moses. He led the people through the plagues. He's led them through the wilderness now with the fire and the pillar of smoke. And so the Lord is kind of re-entering the picture. And what he's doing with this tabernacle, this tent that he's going to build, is he's reestablishing his presence among the people. Right? His perfect plan is to be in their presence. His perfect plan is to be in communion with him. Sin separated us. And so God, as he builds this tabernacle, is restoring the broken relationship. He's reestablishing his presence among the people. Now listen, this is not going to be fulfilled completely until Jesus arrives. And then ultimately when we're in heaven and living in the presence of the Lord. But it's the beginning of God reestablishing his presence on the earth with his people. Now I want you to see this in Exodus 25 verse 8. So pull that verse up if you would because God gives them a very clear picture of why he's doing this. Let them make a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell in their midst. So God's saying, listen, we're going to build this tabernacle. We're going to build this place that I can dwell and live among the people. Now in order to do this, the Lord says, listen, people, you need to give me the stuff in order to build this. 
Like God could have very easily created this. He could have very easily just allowed the materials to appear in the morning like manna did. He very easily could have spoken this into existence, but he wanted the buy-in of the people. He wanted the obedience of the people. He wanted them part of the process. And so the Lord says, listen, I need you to give me some things. I need you to give me your gold and your silver and your bronze and your your purple yarns, which are very expensive, by the way, wood and and oil for the lamps, very costly items, right? And there's a whole other sermon here that I'm not going to get into this morning, but the idea that the Lord demands from us our best. God didn't say, listen, man, just go into the back of the tent and whatever you hadn't used in a while, whatever's getting a little bit older, you don't need, just turn that in and feel good about that. The Lord says, listen, I need you to give me your best. I need the gold and the silver and the the purple linens and the oil and all the things that are significant and expensive and important. And you might be thinking, now these are people that are wandering through the desert. These are nomads. These are people that live in tents, Bedouins, right? They don't have any place to, to call home. They're in limbo. Where is all this gold and silver and bronze? Where are these things coming from? Let me remind you, and this is interesting what the Lord does, in Exodus chapter 12, right? just as the Lord is calling the people out of Egypt, I want you to listen to what the Bible says in verse 35 of Exodus 12. The people of Israel had done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Right. So just before the people of Israel leave Egypt, the Lord says, listen, you need to ask for all their gold and their jewelry and their clothing and all of the, the wealthy things they have. And as silly as that sounds, the people of Israel obey, and the Egyptians give them all of this nice stuff. And once the Lord had commanded that to happen, once these people had all this gold and silver, they get into the desert, they're following, they're trusting, they're listening. God says, listen, I need all that stuff back as an offering to me so we can build the tabernacle, right? An interesting point of application. The Lord blesses us oftentimes and ordains and allows us to have nice stuff and good things so we what? Can now turn around and use it for his glory. There's a, there's a lot of truth in there. And there, there, there's a lot of uh, my toes are being stepped on right now when I hear that, right? Because we're real good, myself included. We're real good about wanting nice stuff and storing up for ourselves and thinking, what can I buy next and how can I save for this? As opposed to thinking, man, what has the Lord given me so I can in turn now use the best I have for his honor and for his glory? Very different than the way we oftentimes think. Now, God gives them some specifics of the tabernacle. We're not going to get into the detail this morning because we're going to spend the next several weeks really walking through this and the symbolism of it and why it was important. But the tabernacle is basically a tent. And it's about 15 feet wide. It's about 45 feet long. And it's surrounded by kind of a fence with a little courtyard. And within the tent, there are kind of these two rooms. 
right? There's the first room that they walk into that's got like a golden lampstand and a, a table of bread that we'll talk about. And then there's the Holy of Holies. You get inside that and it's the place where the Lord actually resided, where he lived, in his own words, where he would dwell in their midst, right? So he's creating for them, he's establishing for them a place of worship. Now let's look at verse 10, right? Because he's going to go into some detail about what's going to happen here. Exodus 25, 10. They shall make an ark of Achaia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside shall you overlay it. And you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. Verse 12. You shall cast four rings of gold for it. Put them on its four feet, two rings on one side, two rings on the other side. Verse 13, you shall make poles of Achaia wood, overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. And the poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it, right? So the Lord's creating a place of worship, number one. Here's the second thing. The Lord is now creating for them a symbol of his holiness, right? He's creating this place. He's reestablishing. He's restoring this broken, sinful relationship. He's entering back into their presence to allow them to live within his sanctuary and within his holiness. And he's creating this place, but he's also creating for them in the Ark of the Covenant a symbol of his holiness. Now, we've got a picture that I want you to see because I want you to get a better idea what's going on here. Now, understand this is an artist's rendition, right? We don't have this anymore. We don't know where this is unless you're a fan of Indiana Jones. Then you know exactly where it is. This is that big warehouse, right, that nobody can locate. Now, I don't know if y'all have seen that movie, but that's one of my favorite movies. And I love it because of the adventure. And he's just a cool dude. He's got the whip and the hat and all that kind of fun stuff. And, but most of us know our theology of the ark by Raiders of the Lost Ark, don't we? That's what we know about the ark. And there's some cool things about that, and there's some truth in that story. But the ultimate picture, the, the theology in that movie is wrong because what they say is this ark has power, and if we can discover it, right, it's been lost for centuries. If we can discover it, they say something like whatever army holds this can kind of rule the world. And so in the movie, the, the Nazis of World War II are looking for the ark, believing if they can find it, they can be the most powerful army in all the world, right? That's wrong because the ark is just a box. If we find the ark today, it by itself doesn't have any necessary power. It's the presence of the Lord within the ark that gave it its power. You understand that? It was the presence of the Lord dwelling with his people that gave it its power. And so God has kind of said to them, listen, I'm going to create this place. I'm going to create this place of worship, reestablish my presence with you. I'm going to build this ark as a symbol of my majesty and my power and my holiness. Now, this was a big deal to these people. In fact, they uh, kept it with them. They moved it a few times. But the Lord was very clear. Listen, you need to, you need to build these, uh, these uh, uh, poles and put them in these rings. Leave it in there so you can carry it around. But you're not to touch the ark itself. In fact, we see this example, and you don't have to look it up in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. King David 
and the people of Israel had decided to move the ark and Uzziah was there with them. And the Bible says that the oxen that the the ark was being carried with had stumbled and the ark begins to tip and Uzziah kind of reaches for it and touches it to stabilize it. And 1 Chronicles 13.10 says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzziah and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark and he died there before the Lord, right? It's a reminder of the holiness of the Lord, right? It's a reminder of his power. We, we live in a world where we like to put God in this nice little neat, comfortable, fun box where he's our friend and he grants us things and he loves us and he's so kind. And, and those things are true. He is kind and he is loving. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but man, we miss the holiness of God sometimes. And we miss his majesty and we miss his power. He's not to be trifled with. You don't mess with the Lord. And it's demonstrated time and time again in Scripture, right? So I want you to see what's happening here because it's going to kind of fit together. The pieces are going to be fitting together here in just a few minutes. The Lord says, listen, build this ark, uh, overlay it with gold, and within it, he says, I want you to put a few things. In fact, Hebrews kind of gives us a little more specific about what's going to go into this ark. And he basically says in Hebrews 9, 4, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was, in other words, put in this a golden ark urn holding the manna, right? So some of the manna that had come is put in there to demonstrate the Lord's faithfulness. Aaron's staff that budded, right? That they had taken to the Pharaoh and tablets of the covenant. That's why it's called the Ark of the Covenant because the Ten Commandments, the covenant of the Lord was placed into the Ark, right? Now this is going to matter here in just a minute, right? So stay with me. We've created this place of worship, right? God is reestablishing himself. He's created this Ark now to demonstrate his holy, holiness and his power and his majesty. Within the Ark, he's placing the Ten Commandments. And now watch what happens. We don't know yet what's going to go on the Ark on the top until we get to verse 16. Exodus 25, 16, right? So you shall put into the ark of the te- into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. Verse 17, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth. You shall make two cherubim of gold. Those are the angels. Two cherubim of gold, of hammered work you shall make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on one end and one cherub on the other. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be, and you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you, right? So he's creating a place for worship in the tabernacle. He's creating a symbol through the ark of the covenant of his glory and his power and his majesty. He's placing within the ark the covenant, and then truth number three, the Lord is now creating a way of forgiveness. Now this is significant. Right? If you don't get this, you're going to miss the symbolism of the Ark of the Covenant, right? Because it's just kind of this cool thing for us. If you've ever studied it, it's something that was in the past. We don't know where it is now. Will it one day be discovered? Who's looking for it? There's this kind of cool history to the Ark, but there's great significance here because the Lord says, listen, put the picture back up if you would, please. I'm going to build this box 
I'm going to put the tablet, the, 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 the covenant, the Ten Commandments into the box, and then I'm going to build a top. But I'm not going to call it a top. I'm going to call it a mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, we're going to create these angels. Their wings are outspread toward one another. They're looking at each other. They're over the top of the mercy seat. Now watch. Here's the significance, right? Because order matters here. Stay with me, okay? Above the ark is the Lord. He's in heaven. His presence is going to dwell. It's going to come down over and reside over the ark of the covenant in the tabernacle, in the holy of holies, right? Lord above In the ark are the Ten Commandments. Now, you've heard me say this before, but one of the things the Ten Commandments did was it demonstrated to the people their inability to follow the things of the Lord. It proved that they could not keep the law. I'm not going to go around and do this, but if I ask everybody in this room, how many of you have broken at least one of the Ten Commandments, everybody would raise their hand. If I said, how many of you have broken multiple of the Ten Commandments? Probably many of us would raise our hands. But it demonstrates ultimately our sin that we can't follow fully a holy God. So watch now. We've got the holiness of God above. Within the ark, we've got the covenant, the Ten Commandments, which ultimately demonstrate our sinfulness. What comes between those things is this mercy seat. Right? We can't enter the presence of a holy God. We need some help. Now, here's the beautiful part. God creates this. He gives them this mercy seat. And then he creates this opportunity once a year on the day of atonement for the people of Israel. I'm going to read you what happened, right? The the priest was commanded to go and basically take a goat. And the Bible says in Leviticus 16, 15, kill the goat of the sin offering that's for the people. Now, listen. Bring it inside the veil, that's into the Holy of Holies, into the location of the Ark of the Covenant, and do with its blood, as you did with the blood of the bull, which is a previous chapter in Leviticus, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. Now watch. God above is holy. We understand our sinfulness below. The only thing that protects us, that stands between us, is the mercy seat. And the only way we can be forgiven of our sins is for the blood of the perfect sacrifice to be sprinkled on the mercy seat one time a year. So the priest goes in, he sacrifices, he takes the blood, he puts it on the mercy seat, the top of the ark. It's through that act that our sins are forgiven. Watch, and we are spared the wrath of God. Now, fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years. This is the beautiful part about the Old Testament, man. These are not independent stories. These are not standalone ideas. These are not things that were just conjured up by Moses for significance, right? The Lord says there is meaning and there is purpose here. This is looking ahead to Jesus. We are sinful. We can't come into the presence of a holy God The only way we can be forgiven is through his mercy and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ given for our sins. That's the only way we are able to come into fellowship with a holy God and be forgiven of our transgressions and spared the wrath of a holy God. It's a beautiful picture. 
It's a beautiful picture of what he's done for you and what he's done for me. And the thing that just builds my faith in this process is to understand hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God already had a plan for your salvation. God already had you in mind. God already knew that Jesus was going to come and die on the cross and his blood was going to offer you forgiveness for your sins. Now, I'm going to give you a chance here in just a minute. Right, we're going to open up this altar. It's going to be a, an opportunity for you to pray. It's going to be an opportunity for you to speak to me. But I just want to challenge you, and I'm going to finish with this, okay? If you've never accepted the forgiveness of Christ, if you've never recognized that he's holy and I'm not and something's got to come between us because I can't come in contact with the holy God, I need the sacrifice of Jesus to make that right. If you've never accepted that sacrifice and repented of your sins, let this be the day. Open your eyes to the truth. And let the Lord speak very clearly to you. Now let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this beautiful picture, Lord, in Exodus 25 of your majesty and power, Lord, of how you're re-entering the story, of how you're making a place of worship, how you're demonstrating the, the, the beauty of your holiness and your majesty, but you're also providing a way of forgiveness. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, Lord, we see how his sacrifice we see how all that he gave matters for us. And so I pray, Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that's never prayed to receive you, that's never prayed to be forgiven of their sins and accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, let this be the moment. Work in our midst, work in our hearts. We'll praise you for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.